It's the name episode where we unleash the name of the Gastonia franchise and the Boomers new stadium, as well as much in the way of affiliations and a new manager in Ottawa. We'll cover all of this and some other good stuff here on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, back again. Another episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast is only I, Nick, this week. I will get it right out of the way. Will had a family obligation he had to take care of this week. He offered to do it the show on another day of the week. However, given the nature of it, I kind of insisted that he he focus on that. It's much more important than, than the show itself. So uh, thoughts go out to him for that. As you could guess, it is a a solo show this week so obviously we will go back over the topics from this week next week when there's a full cast of characters in and hopefully we'll have some other stuff to talk about as well as that but uh, this is the news of the week i'm still going to cover it as always with these shows again it's a solo show so we're probably looking to be in and out in about half hour 35 minutes right in that range So again, it's a bit of a shorter show, apologies for that, but as I've said in the past, and as I will continue to say, uh, when the need arises for a solo episode, this is just the nature of the beast, it's going to be a lot uh, shorter of a show, just because that's what the circumstances dictate, and doing a solo show is extremely difficult. So with that said, uh, we'll jump right into the first topic of the day, it is the Ottawa manager. So as we talked about, I believe it was uh, two weeks ago, Ottawa is officially back in the business of independent league baseball. They were granted an expansion franchise in the Frontier League. This was news that we have known was coming for quite some time. Ottawa was one of the teams that was on the bubble about a year ago now, actually, when the Frontier League merged with the Can-Am League. Obviously, they were the only team not to come over from the Can-Am into the Frontier League. They didn't really have an ownership group. The lease situation was a mess. The city was kind of playing hardball with the lease. And then we were talking about all the various people that could pick up a lease. And it was really kind of in a weird quasi zone. If you want more information about that, we have a whole episode that was dedicated to Ottawa back from, I believe, July of last year or the end of June of last year, right around that time. Uh, that gives you a lot of the information what was happening then. And then if you go back to some of our episodes from the fall of 2019, then you will also get more information about that. But regardless of it, they are granted an expansion franchise. It's owned by the Katz family, that, or at least co-owned by the Katz family, one of the owners in Winnipeg. Obviously, Winnipeg has had its own lease situation that's kind of on the verge, and we should be learning more about that, actually, I think at the end of this month. But regardless, uh, we Ottawa did get their team back, and we knew there was going to be announcements coming from it. And they they finally did make their first announcement. We know there's also going to be a lot more information coming about them in the coming weeks. Uh, But the important thing is they do have their first building block piece, the most important piece to the whole organization, which is their manager. And after belaboring this point for a couple minutes now, I'll just get right to who it is. It is the former River City Rascal manager, Steve Brook. Now, the funny thing about Steve Brook is he was actually, at least on my short list, for the job in Gastonia. And with Gastonia, actually, uh, there's going to be an article coming out about that either 
next week or the week after. That's really the plan for it. So think end of the month, there'll be an article about them and who they could possibly have as a manager, unless they announced that beforehand. But uh, Steve Brook was certainly at the top of my list. The guy has an, a very impressive resume. He managed the team, that team being uh, River City, from 2010 to 2019, racked up just under 550 wins, 542 to be exact, with a winning percentage of 566. And he also was sixth all-time in Frontier League wins. And that's only in the course of about 10 years or so. And keep in mind, he accomplished all this in really his mid to late 30s. That That's, it's very impressive. He started managing in his 20s, to be quite honest, uh, as he's only going to be 40 on opening day 2021. So with that information there, he's a very young guy. He's a very successful guy too. And he already has two Frontier League championships under his belt in the uh, in the 10 years he was managing in uh, Refer City. He had seven playoff appearances and he went to the championship game uh, six times. Like I said, he was two for six. So he's, you know, batting 300 in that regard. So uh, clearly a very, very talented manager. There's not much to dislike about it. Uh, the guy only has one losing season. That would be the 2012 season, which funny enough was coming off his best season as a manager, which was 2011, that that had his Rascals finish 68 and 27, a very, very solid record, very respectable record there, uh, clearly was good enough for best in the league that year, but it's a guy that I'm kind of surprised that didn't get a call about Gastonia, I would imagine if he would have, he would have taken that, uh, Ottawa definitely got a really, really talented guy here. He knows how to build a roster. He knows how to build a winner. And in the actual, uh, I think it was a press release, but it's also on the website, the Frontier League website, which is linked in our show notes. Part of the reason that Brooke was picked by by uh, by Ottawa was because he brings a winning culture. He knows how to build a winner. Obviously, uh, building a winner is something that is key to bringing people to the ballpark as well as building an, ex- an enjoyable experience too. But we know there's other challenges involved in Ottawa. We went over those in the past, namely getting to the stadium at the time a game would start isn't exactly the easiest. Plus, at various points in the year, you have other things that people want to be doing. So it really is a matter of just saying, look, baseball's back in Ottawa. It's something to do. It's an enjoyable experience. And for the $12, $13 a piece, to get into the ballpark, it's a decision you won't regret doing, even if it is a little bit out of your way or a little bit of a pain to get to. So I, I do like Steve Brook as a very solid building block here. Like I said, he's a young guy. He's one of the best of all time in the Frontier League, and I'm very curious to see what kind of team he's going to build and what kind of success you're going to see in Ottawa. And obviously, we're going to see more extensive expansion in the uh Frontier League over the next couple of months and years and I'm going to be very curious to see if we can get another team in the general Quebec Ontario region I'd like to ideally see a another franchise pop up there so that way we can maybe get some sort of a rivalry going between Ottawa and the other clubs because as it stands right now they they still are a decent little bit away from your three rivers and your Quebec and it does kind of hinder building a rivalry like that so who knows maybe we could get a team maybe in the general Vermont region maybe in an upstate New York like um I think it's Batvia 
yeah, that may be a team that gets cut, and that could be a nice place to put up a uh, Frontier League team. And who knows where these teams will go, but hopefully there is a team that's close by. And congratulations both to Steve Brook and the Ottawa Frontier League team for really coming together and making a tremendous hire and one that uh, I think will benefit both parties tremendously. So with that said, we'll go to our second piece of news from the Frontier League this week, and that would be the news about Boomer's Stadium. For the third time, it has been renamed. At first, it was Alexion Field. That was from uh, when the stadium first opened in 1999 to 2010. Then it became Boomer's Stadium from 2011 to 2020. I assume at that point that just wasn't a good enough deal to sponsor the field. I can't imagine Alexion Field is named for anything other than a company. Sounds like an insurance company or a medical company, to be quite honest. But regardless, uh, that's not really what's important here. What is important is that it is now known as Wintrust Field after the bank. Uh, there's already an existing partnership between Wintrust and the Boomers. I believe they're the exclusive banking partner of the Boomers. I uh, I assume that just means that uh, all the ATMs in the ballpark and all the team finances are done through uh, Wintrust as opposed to other banks in the region. I know that Wintrust in particular is uh, a really, really big name as far as regional banking goes for that general Chicago, Illinois region. I think the compare it, it'd be kind of like uh, how uh, the TD banks are in the Northeast or how I think it was BB&T, but I think it's truest now, uh, is in the South. That kind of gives you a general idea of how prevalent it is. At least that's my understanding of that. So it doesn't really have much of an effect uh, for on the field or for fan notice uh, outside of a, a new name on top of the build. Uh, so really, it's just appearance sake that changes here. And I imagine there's some cash going to the Boomers and the village of Schomburg as well uh, via this deal. And pending approval, it will go into effect on October 15th this year. So uh, probably by the time you're listening to this, if you wait a couple days for it to come out, uh, you will hear about uh, how the Boomer Stadium is now uh, in Trust Field. So a uh, fairly minor news, but it's still news and it's the off season. So you take what you can get and all right, so now we go to the Atlantic League, and this is really kind of like the last bits of news for the week. Again, like I said, it's a short week, but I'm the sole person here, and I'm the sole one uh, driving the bus this week, as it were. So we will go to Gastonia now, a favorite on this program, and that is because it's a new team. It's always fun and exciting to play around with that. It seems like every year when we do the show, there's always a new team. Last time around it was High Point, this time around it's Ottawa and Gastonia, and who knows what will be uh, 2021's new team. But with Gastonia, we do have name information as well as other information. I know it's the it's the sexy stuff that everybody looks forward to hearing about, the whole branding, the identity of the team, managers. These are the kind of things that I know a lot of people like and enjoy listening to, and of course, because it's always fun. I know I follow a handful of graphic designers on Instagram, so with that... Uh, they have narrowed it down, they being the Gastonia team, have narrowed it down to five names out of the 700 that were submitted from August 14th through August 31st. So in about two weeks, so that's a good amount of names there. I mean, at 700, what does that work out to? About uh, second math. So someone will do that for me, but it seems like 7 and 14 makes it real easy to do. Uh, unfortunately, I just, I second math. So probably about 50 a day or something like that, but 
regardless, the finalists for the name of the new Gastonia team are the Fire Ants, the Hogzillas, the Hotshots, the Uppercuts, and the Honey Hunters. All of these relate in various ways to the history of Gastonia and the, I think it's Gaston County. I don't really know what Hogzillas have to do with it. I'll assume at some point there were wild hogs, or there still is wild hogs in the area. Uh, which at that point, I think the Zillas part is a little excessive. Uh, the Fire Ants, it does seem like a pretty typical, safe minor league name to me. Uh, I think there is some potential for it there, but I just, yeah, I'm just so meh on Fire Ants. It just doesn't seem that great. Hot Shots, it seems like you could just take the, uh, what was it, the Arizona Hot Shots from the AAF. You could just take their branding and slap it on there, which if they went with the same kind of color scheme, the orange, the green, the yellow, I would certainly be in favor of that. I like those kind of uh, more unique color schemes. I think that's why I'm against Fire Ants just right out the bat because, of course, it's going to be a heavy red scheme and it's probably going to be blue or black or or white in addition to that, and we have enough colors like that around baseball in general, and really around sports all around. I'd like to see some different colors, maybe some purples, some greens, some oranges, you know, let's get a little bit, uh, a little bit off the beaten path here. As far as uppercuts go, yeah, I'm just eh about it. It seems like so, it seems really rec league I think I feel that way. Just because it seems like if you and your buddies were getting together for a beer league, you'd be like, oh, well, what do we name the team? If you're not naming it after, you know, uh, the bar or whatever. You'd be like, oh, why don't we call them the uppercuts? It's on the same level as like the high heaters or something like that. It's like, ah, yeah, it works, I guess. But it's just so meh to me. Honey Hunters is warming up to me, though. I'll say that much. It is a bit different. I think we could get some yellows in there. Maybe bring back a little bit of the old New Britain look, too. But in the end, uh, it does seem pretty like, eh, really? What are we going to go with a bee logo or like a bee catcher or something like that? It just seems so, eh. In the end, I'm really not big on any of these. Like I said, I guess fire ants are native to the area. Same thing with uh, hog hunters. I imagine there was a uh, hunty, uh, honey industry uh, at the greater Gaston County region, and obviously Hot Shots is a uh, a firefighting platoon, uh, really high level stuff there, so I guess that would make sense, but uh, in the end, uh, the three I, I, guess, I guess I'm pro, in no real particular order to be quite honest, is Hot Shots, Honey Hunters, and Uppercuts, uh, those seem like the three best, they're the most unique they seem the least silly, and uh, quite frankly, I think they they present the best opportunity for branding. The one I really don't want to see is Fire Ants, just because it's so generic. I could live with Hog Hunters, I guess, or Hogzillas, or wherever that, wherever the hog they're called. But yeah, so that's that's all there really is in the way of their name. But uh, as far as other information and where you can vote for the names, if you want to have your say on which of these five wind up becoming the official name of the new Gastonia team in the Atlantic League, you can go to the Gastonia website, which will be linked in the show notes, and vote there from now until the end of the month, uh, 1031. So on Halloween will be your last opportunity to vote for the name of the new Gastonia franchise. That said, 
Uh, there is also going to be more information coming soon. The name should be announced around Thanksgiving time, uh, maybe early December as well. So they really do want to try and get in there for that uh, Christmas rush, I suppose. They want to get that holiday season uh, shopping in and stock the shelves so that way they can mail all that stuff out for Christmas and, and really try and boost their sales like that. If you are in the greater Gastonia area and you want to buy tickets to see the either Gastonia, Fire Ants, Hogzills, Hot Shots, Uppercuts, or Honey Hunters, then you can do so uh, starting on uh, February 15th. That's when the, uh, the general uh, sale goes on. Tickets will start at $5 for general admission, and if you're interested in buying season tickets, you can do so uh, at that same time. You can probably call now and start to get that straightened away as well, and that will run you anywhere from uh, about $490 to about $995, so anywhere from about $500 to $1,000 for the season tickets, uh, or at least longer plans, so it doesn't seem too, too bad, although again, I do kind of, uh, I wonder if the math works out there. As opposed to buying just a general admission seat for all, what would it be? Probably about 60 games. I'm kind of curious to know if the math uh, works out there. It probably does, but at the same time, I'm not in the business of doing math. So I'd be curious to, to know that information. But uh, regardless, uh, we go now to the last bit of news and the last bit of Atlantic League news this week. Uh, the Somerset Patriots and some affiliation news. I'm recording this on uh, the day it comes out, actually. Normally, we do this a day before, but because I could just do it at my leisure, I was lazy this week and waited till Saturday morning to record this. So, last night, uh, there was an article that came out about the Somerset affiliation. I thought it was going to be, like, this brand new breaking development. Nothing really like that. Just kind of reiterated what we know. Uh, that Somerset's name continues to come up. But what was interesting was the kind of Twitter thread uh, was discussing what would need to happen for them to really become affiliated. As we know, uh, the Califers are interested in it. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of teams that are interested in becoming affiliates of uh, a major league club, or as they're called now, a licensed club of a, ma- of a major league club. Part of what comes along with that, obviously, is lower expenses because you're not paying your players, you're not paying your coaches, you just have to pay your front office staff and your ballpark operations. But in order for uh, for TD Bank Park Ballpark to be up to that level, they would need to do a couple million dollars in renovations. You'd need to add more batting cages in there, there'd have to be more training facilities, more uh, rehab facilities, uh, that's just really a better training room and recovery room and, and things like that, uh, really just behind the scenes stuff, because I know a lot of Patriot fans are thinking, oh, well, the ballpark's pretty good now, and with their next 20 thing, they're putting even more money into it, so I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, uh, these would all be things they would need to do, that they need to put even more money into this ballpark and I understand why you'd be a bit surprised there because to the average fan it's it's a very nice ballpark it's it serves its purpose you know you have good seating good sight lines as far as that's concerned the amenities while they're a little bit lacking for 2020 they again they committed to revamping it and building it more towards the modern fan and there really is very little problem with it but from a player development perspective, which is obviously what these major league uh, ball clubs are looking for in their licensed teams, they're going to want to see more ways for the player to develop. While they have the advanced stats uh, equipment put into the ballpark already via the partnership with the Atlantic League and Major League Baseball, 
the actual facilities would need to be upgraded for independently well it's it's fine it's top of the line stuff actually but as far as uh, being affiliated or licensed would go it does need to be improved and that's just the the way it works there furthermore in the article i did say and i did gather from all the other uh, from the twitter uh conversation that reorganization is unlikely to be finished before the beginning of December. Uh, that's when there is a, uh, it's kind of the winter meetings, I believe it is. It's long and short of it is. It's not exactly the winter meetings, but it's something along those lines. Uh, that's when it's expected to really pick up steam and get going. So I imagine kind of middle of December, Christmas time is roughly when we can expect to see the reorganization all finished and see what 40 teams were left on the uh, cutting room floor in which 40 are in which 120 my mistake are going to still be around and going to be licensed and see what teams are going to remain independent what teams are going to become independent and what teams and leagues are going to be uh, playing a game of musical chairs finding the trying to find a place to have a seat when the music ends. So, uh, uh, furthermore, on that uh, kind of reorganization, as they're calling it, which is a different word for get the former MILB-affiliated clubs back to being affiliated with another club and cut 40 teams in the process, uh, Peter Freud, I believe it's Freud or Freud, uh, he has partnered with... Uh, Major League Baseball in their efforts of reorganizing. He is also an owner of several MILB teams. He has a controlling stake in Williamsport and Memphis, and then he also has a stake in uh, Charleston as well. He was partners with the New York Yankees at one point, as evident by his uh, uh, <clears throat> his relationship with Charleston. Uh, he has kind of been brought in here to build the framework of MLB affiliated future as in build the licensing modeling and get everybody settled in with a major league parent club so that's kind of what he's going to be doing that means he is the guy that we're really going to be interested to watch because it's going to be his vision in partnership with major league baseball that kind of shapes the future of minor league baseball He's going to be the guy that kind of dictates what the landscape's going to look like in 5, 10, 15, 25 years from now. And it's uh, it's a lot that's going to be happening over the next two to three months. And I'm going to be very curious to see what, if anything, changes as far as the independent leagues go. Obviously, Sugarland and Somerset have both been far from shy of looking at becoming affiliated. Sugarland in particular... I think at this point, it's kind of assumed that they're gone. Somerset's right on the bubble, as it would appear. And then there's obviously other teams like St. Paul that's been brought up a lot. We've seen, uh, seen Chicago and Gary, Indiana, and a couple of other clubs mentioned in various articles, but not too much otherwise there. And so uh, it'll be a lot to watch over the next couple of months. And uh, just that's just some information that uh, seemed pertinent to this week as we approach the roughly 25 and a half minute mark here. If you're more interested in the uh, whole MILB reorganization, we do have an article that will be going up uh, sometime during the week, think around Sunday, Monday, uh, that goes into what this reorganization means for independent league baseball, what the designation or classification of a partnership league on the frontier Atlantic and American Association slash leagues uh, means for those individual leagues and associations there. 
and I gotta say it's it's a fairly well done article. I was the one who wrote it, so obviously I'm gonna pump up my own uh, own stock here in my articles and my writing. And like I said, that was an article that I promised to get out last week. I wanted to take some time on it, and we're making good progress on it. It should be out, like I said, either tomorrow or Monday. Look, beginning of next week for that article there. And as for where you can find that article, as I go into the plugs here, you can find that article, our episode, and the show notes that include links to all the music and all of the sources we used uh, to gather this information in the show notes on the website, IndieBallReport.com. Uh, you can find the show notes under the show notes tab. You can find our episodes under the episodes tab. You can find the articles under the articles tab and everything else we do. You can find that under the various tabs on that website. You can also find the show just about wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic. Uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Like I said, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find our show. Uh, in addition to that, you can also follow us on Twitter at IndieBallPod or on Instagram at IndieBallReport. You can also follow Will, who is normally my co-host, on Instagram at AOPB underscore news. And so, with the plugs done, all the news to put to bed, uh, we'll end this show as we end every show. Don't forget to play ball. <laughs>